Welcome to the Sunday Morning Message with Pastor Nick Stringer, brought to you from Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. Creekside Church, where the Spirit flows. Good morning again. We are in Matthew chapter 21, so open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 28 through 32. And if you do not have a Bible, we have some Bibles for you in the back there on the table. Those are the New King James Version, a very good version. Uh, Easier to read than the Old King James Version. And I think you'll find it uh, very pleasing to read and very easy to follow along, if I'm not mistaken. Those are large print Bibles. So, very good. Today's message is the second message in our series of Jesus' teaching in the temple. Okay? And today's message is titled, Faith Isn't Skin Deep. Faith Isn't Skin Deep. If um, you're familiar with tattoos, uh, when a tattoo is given, you have the outer layer of skin, which is called the epidermis. And, but a tattoo is given about one and a half to two millimeters deep into the skin into what is known as the dermis so that it cannot wash away. If it was given into the top layer of skin after a few weeks, it'd be able to rub off very easily. But when a tattoo is given, it is able to be removed with a laser. And that's what you're seeing right there. You're seeing someone that had a tattoo who getting that tattoo removed with a laser. And so a tattoo is skin deep and that's exactly what the message that jesus was giving to the religious leaders of his day was he was telling them your faith is skin deep and jesus's word was the laser that removed the tattoo because his word penetrated their hearts and it revealed that their faith was not of the heart but it was of a superficial nature that it was of skin deep because they wanted to put on an outward show with their appearance and their words. But when it came down to it, when the rubber met the road, they did not follow the command and the will of God. And that's what we learn in this parable today of the two sons, which we read at the very beginning. Okay, so this is what we will learn today. Genuine faith in God is proved by doing the will of God. Genuine faith in God is proved by doing the will of God. The parable answers this key question. What are components of genuine faith? What are components of genuine faith? I will ask the question, would it be helpful to have a little light on over top of you? If, if so, go ahead. Don't be shy. Turn the light on. I know. See, I see some of you taking notes with a flashlight. This is not good. Let there be light, right? Light is good. Wait, what now last week? <laughs> We're all here to learn and to love. And we don't need to do it in the dark. So what are components of genuine faith? That is a question that we will answer today. Before we do that, let us quickly look at the context surrounding the scripture. 
32 AD is when this takes place, and it takes place during the Passion Week or the Holy Week. Now, that is the final week of Jesus' life here on earth before he was crucified on the cross. Now, specifically, this parable is given to the religious leaders of his day in the, between the time of his triumphal entry and his last supper with his disciples at the Passover. This passage, this teaching in the temple, takes place in the temple court of the Israelites. So this is the temple right here, okay? And so around the temple, you had this fenced-in area that was known as the court of the Gentiles. Okay, now a Gentile, basically you had two divisions of people in the scripture of that day. You had Jews and you had Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews, basically, which is for simplification. Okay? Now, the court of the Israelites was right here, this blue area between the temple building and the priest or the priest court and the court of women. Okay, this is where Jesus uh, denied uh, the adulterous woman uh, from being stoned to death. Okay, that event took place here. So we are right here today. Jesus is talking to these Jewish males in the court of Israel. Now, this is the place where uh, the men would wait while their sacrifice was being burned right as they would bring their sacrifices to god this is the place where they would wait as their sacrifices were being burned so that's where this is taking place right now this teaching in the temple who is involved here well our good and gracious lord jesus christ the creator of and the author and perfecter of faith your creator and your glorious savior Jesus Christ. Matthew 21 14 says this, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He healed them. And then we also see a cast of characters in this passage known as the chief priests and elders. These are the people that Jesus was speaking to in verses 28 through 32 which we're looking at here momentarily. These were high-ranking priests who served on the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, you could imagine, was the Jewish Supreme Court. It was the Jewish High Court. It consisted of 71 members that had the final say in all matters. And they are also the ones who condemned Jesus to the cross. Okay? So now, the what and the why. Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. They were a tattoo tape. It was a laser that removed and exposed it. Why? Because the religious leaders' reverence for God is superficial. It was superficial. Okay? So that's where we stand with the context of this scripture. Now, the point that Jesus is making in this parable to the audience is that the religious leaders... Though they have the appearance of godliness, and though they may speak the language of godliness, godliness is far from them. And this is a rude awakening for these self-righteous men. Would you all agree with me that there is probably a certain language that is used in church culture that is not used on the outside world that we feel and it's only human nature to feel this way that 
In order to assimilate into church culture, we need to use certain language to sound quote-unquote churchy, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. I'm just saying it's a thing, right? And so, um, and, I, and I don't think we need ought to do that. I believe that it's okay for us to speak in a way that uh, makes sense and relatable um, and not have a fear of not being able to use church language. I think we need to use language that we all understand and that's relatable. And um, certainly Jesus taught that way because he taught using very simple parables, very simple parables that even a child could understand. He did not speak over the heads of his listeners he spoke directly to them in very simple terms as he did right here now i'm going to give you a little pointer a few little pointers here to help you follow along um the in this parable and starting in verse 28 the man who has the two sons that would be father god okay the man is father god who has the two sons now the first son is uh the son uh it's represented as the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now, the first son was asked by his father, please go to the vineyard and go to work. And he says, no, I will not. But then he does. He regrets what he says and he does. And the second son represents the religious leaders. They are asked by their father to go to work and they say, yes, sir, I will. And then they don't. Okay, they do nothing. All right, so two sons represented here. One says, I won't, but does. One says, I will, but doesn't. Okay, very simple here. So let's begin to answer the question, what are components of genuine faith? Well, in order to do this and answer this correctly, we need to go to the, a reliable source, and that is the scriptures. Would you go to verse 28 with me here in Matthew chapter 21? And look what it says here. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. So the very first thing that we see here about genuine faith is that genuine faith has a remorseful heart. Look what it says there in verse 29. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it. He regretted it. And regret there means to care afterward. A change of mind after a change of emotion. Now, working in the vineyard was very hard work. When you were asked to go to work in a vineyard, that might have meant several things. It may have meant, well, we need to plant new vines. We need to prepare the ground, plant new vines. Maybe it meant we need to prune some of the older uh, branches that are not producing any fruit. Maybe it meant that we it's time to harvest these grapes. And the harvest time came, you would gather the clusters and they would put them on the threshing floor and they would barefootedly, they would stomp the grapes. Okay, and the juice would run down from that into another vat and they would collect the juice that way. So it was hard labor why this first son said no he would not do the work we don't know maybe he was lazy maybe he was tired maybe he was just upset with his dad and said you know dad nah i'll pass i'm good <laughs> all right i'm not gonna do it but then the scripture goes on to say that he regretted it 
he felt bad he felt remorseful and he went on and he did what his father had asked him to do so this first son demonstrates that he had a remorseful heart now why would he regret saying no to his father because he loved his father he loved his father he regretted saying no to his father you see in the moment he said no no dad i don't want to do that i don't want to work in the vineyard then after some time he thought about it he said you know what i will and jesus is saying this is exactly like the tax collectors and the prostitutes of our day now jesus uses that example because to be a tax collector and a prostitute at that time period was the lowest form of people in that society they were looked down upon lower than anything they were like scum in that society now that may be putting it harshly you say but if you talk to any rabbi they would tell you the same thing scum of the earth is what a tax collector was why because they cheated the people and swindled them out of their money or a prostitute and jesus says these people will make it to the kingdom of heaven now why would he say that when they're acting the way that they are because in their encounter with jesus they had a change a remorseful heart about what they were doing and even though they were living a lifestyle at that time that rejected God they felt guilty about what they were doing why because they had remorse in their heart you know scripture says that Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the prostitutes now dear friends don't mistake this Jesus is not giving affirmation to their behaviors He's not eating with these folks saying, oh, it's okay that they do what they do. He is eating with these folks because he is offering them compassion. These are people who are hurting. These are people who are in need. And Jesus comes alongside them and he offers them something that the rest of the world is not willing to do. That is a compassionate ear and a friendly voice and a hope and a life. He has the words of life in his mouth and he offers them to them and they grab onto them and they have remorse in their hearts. These tax collectors and prostitutes that Jesus ate with, they didn't stay that way. They didn't say we know Jesus Christ so let's continue to do more bad stuff anyway. They turned away. They had a remorseful heart and they went. And that's what the first son did. He had remorse in his heart and he went. You know, a good illustration of this is the story of the prodigal son. And you're all very familiar with that in Luke chapter 15. This is a story of a young man who says, Daddy, will you just go ahead and give me my inheritance now while you're still alive? Right? Imagine asking your dad that or your grandpa that or whatever. Can you just go ahead and give me what you're going to give me when you die? Just do it now, right? I want to do it. And then you go and you live it up, right? He goes and he lives it up and he squanders what his father has given him. And as he's uh, lying there with the pigs, he's thinking to himself, Wow, I really messed up. 
I, I could go back to my father. I could live as a servant for him. And I would be treated better. And look what it says in Luke 15, 18. I will get up and I will go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Remorse. This young man had genuine remorse for the way that he had treated his father because he loved his father. He made a mistake, right? So, John the Baptist came on the scene. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, the first things that he said, one of the first things was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this message of repentance is very important because it is the, and remorse, because it is the first step in turning things around spiritually. My dear friends, in order for us to have a spiritual rebirth, Scripture teaches us that we must have remorse for the lifestyle that we are living. We must have a remorseful heart in order to have a genuine faith. What is the motivation for someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ if they're going along and they say, well, I'm okay, I'm not doing anything wrong? Well, many people feel that way because they compare their sins to other people's sins. Well, I'm doing this thing. What's so bad about this when this person's doing this? At least I'm not killing anybody. Everybody likes to say that. Well, at least I don't murder people. Well, at least I don't do this. Well, you know what? God is focused on you. God is looking at you and your heart. Put yourself in God's position for just a brief moment. Pretend that you are God and you're looking down on you. What are you doing? Are you saying that you're going to follow the will of the Father, but not? Are you saying outwardly, you know, I'm a Christian, I do this, I do that. I will do this, I will do that, but don't. What is the example that you're setting in your house? That is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And folks, why do we feel bad about this? There's a conviction. There's a remorse. And that is not a bad thing. I will say to you again, and I believe I brought it up last week, conviction is a good thing. Feeling guilty about the things that we may do or think or respond to is okay because those are activators for change, right? They initiate change. When you feel bad about something, don't you want to try and make it better? Well, of course you do because you care, right? Um, so that's the way God uses conviction in our lives to initiate change in our lives. And we feel bad about the things that we do because we know that they're wrong. How do we know that? Because God created us with the a moral likeness, a social likeness. He created us with the ability to know right from wrong. Okay? And so this young man, he was told by his father, please go work out in the vineyard today. Or maybe he said, son, go work out in the vineyard today. I don't know how he put it, but I'm envisioning this. Son, go do work out in the vineyard today. No, I will not, this son says, but eventually... What did he do? 
even though he said he wouldn't, he did. He went. He went to the vineyard and he honored his father and he did the work that his father had asked him to do. He had a remorseful heart and his remorseful heart led him to repent from his sin. Now, when I say repent, that is a little bit different word than being remorseful. When you're remorseful, you feel sorry. But when you repent, you actually turn away from those deeds which you were doing and you turn towards God. We turn away. It's a turning, a 180. To repent doesn't mean to say you're sorry. It means to show you're sorry through your actions, through your words, through your lifestyle. Repenting of our sin, turning away from sin and turning to God. And there's a wonderful example of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. And I bet you find it before I do. You want to race? Dun, 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 dun. I'm almost there. I'm on chapter 23 in 2 Chronicles 29. Okay, there I did it. 32. Did you beat me? Nope, you didn't. Okay, let's look at the 2 Chronicles 33. That is in the Old Testament. Right after 1st and 2nd Kings. We have 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And we're going to be looking at chapter 33, verse starting in verse 10. This is a king known as Manasseh. Okay, now Manasseh, he was 12 years old when he became king. Imagine that, 12 and becoming king. Wow, he obviously had a lot of good people around him, steering him in the right direction. Look at verse 10 of chapter 33 there. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they, listen to this, they paid no attention. The Lord spoke to them, they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. Verse 12, when he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and he heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. This king Manasseh and his people paid no attention to God. And they got themselves into some trouble. But then they prayed. Manasseh humbled himself. And the Lord heard his entreaty. And he had compassion upon them. So my encouraging word for you this morning is this, troops. If you have made a habit of telling God no, you can change. You can tell God yes. You can say yes to God today. You haven't lost all hope. He is a compassionate, loving God that will forgive you. In the book of 1 John, it talks about how He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we ask for forgiveness. But I will say this, my dear friends, because I care for you. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 that the branches that are not producing any fruit will be cut from the vine and will be thrown away. 
We want to be branches that produce fruit. Because God is on a mission to bring people into the kingdom of heaven. And he wants you to be a part of that. Okay? We don't want to be branches that get clipped off. I'm not saying that you would lose your salvation. But what I'm saying is, is that if you're not producing fruit, what use would God have for a branch that bears no grapes? Right now, at this time. Okay? But God is a good and faithful God. And so, a remorseful heart, demonstrated by this first son, shows us that we can love God and that He will forgive us. At this time, let us take a pause. And would you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer as we ask God to give us a heart that's remorseful and a spirit of repentance. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who forgives our sin. Father, would you please touch us with a spirit of remorse that we would feel conviction for the things that we have done against you wrongly. Father, bring it to our attention that we may know that we may have the opportunity to repent. And Father, give us the strength and the courage to turn away from those wrongdoings and turn toward you unashamedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the second thing that is a key component of genuine faith is this. First, genuine faith has a remorseful heart. Number two, genuine faith complies with God's requests. Genuine faith replies with God's requests. The first son said, no, I won't. But guess what? He did. The second son, uh, second son said, yes, I will. But he did not. Jesus asked the question of the religious leaders. Which son did the will of God? And they themselves responded, the first. And they answered correctly. Because even though he said no, he did what was asked of him. Now, when I say the word compliance, you may think, well, that's a very strict word to use. And you may think of a sergeant, a drill sergeant, standing over his troops. Come on, give me ten. One, two, you know, counting the push-ups as you jump. I want your face in the mud. I want your face in the puddle when you do the push-up, right? Very strict. But that is the improper viewpoint to have of God. God offers us the opportunity to comply with His Word. You see, my dear friends, God is not in the robot-making industry. If God could have, he very easily could have created robots per se and programmed them with his commands and said, these robots will perfectly do everything and comply with everything that I have programmed them to do. And little androids will be walking about on the earth and they would be complying perfectly with the Lord's ways. But the Lord did not create robots. He created human beings. He created people with the ability to love and to hate. He created people with a free will, the ability to choose. Why would God do that? Because God is a God of love. And we have said time and time again, without choice, you have no love. People have to choose to love God 
That's the only way that you can have love with a choice. God gives us a choice and we demonstrate our love by choosing to comply with his commands. God asks me to do a thing and so I love him so I comply with his command. Now, uh, a few, maybe it was a few years ago by now, boy, time flies so quickly, um, our stove went out. Okay, the brain box in the stove went out. That's what they call it, the brain box. So, you know, it's digital and I'm hitting the temp sensor. Now it says temperature up, down. It says clock time. You can set that right. It says the burners. It has the stove. You push the button on what it says to do and it wouldn't do it. So I'm like, this thing's not complying with what I'm telling it to do. And I call service and they're like, well, yeah, the brain box is dead. So I had to order a new brain for my stove. And then I hook it up and of course it works exactly like it's supposed to work, right? Okay, it starts to comply, right? And so you and I, we need to have a changed brain, okay? In dealing with the supernatural and dealing with the divine and living a good life for God. Because our brain in the sinful nature is programmed to do what we want to do when we want to do it regardless of what God is asking us to do but that's the beautiful thing about a spiritual rebirth and having the spirit of God living inside of us is that it reprograms our brain and teaches us and gives us that conviction of the spirit and says hey before you do that thing before you behave in this way before you say that before whatever is this going to honor God is this going to be pleasing to God? Are you going to demonstrate your love to the Lord in this manner? And that is a good question to ask before we engage in any behavior. Now, recently, you may have heard uh, there was a terrible tragedy on the set of a movie, right? Alec Baldwin, actor, who fired a prop gun and it killed somebody, right? This is not the first time that this has happened, right? An accident that can happen very easily without the proper compliance. Now, I don't know what kind of rules are in place and safety checks are in place to protect against this kind of thing, but let's imagine for a moment that there's all kinds of regulatory literature about how to properly check a prop gun before we fire it to keep somebody, an actor, from getting killed with a gun. Imagine we need to check this gun. We need to double check this gun. We need to triple check this gun, the compliance. Was there a failure of compliance? Was somebody incompliant and neglectful of their duties that led to this tragedy? My dear friends, your compliance in the word of God is incumbent upon maybe saving somebody in your family. Being compliant with God's word can lead to wonderful things. God gives these commands and these rules for your safety not to be a burden on you but to keep you safe because they are what is best for you right and look Jesus even says this why do you call me Lord Lord and do not do what I say in other words he's saying I'm not your Lord don't call me that Ew. right be like you having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or and they don't even know that's my boyfriend what 
Man, you don't know who you are. The Lord's saying the same thing. Why are you calling me Lord? You don't do what I say. You don't do what I ask. And then he says in uh, 1 John 2, 3, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Would you pause again with me for a moment of prayer as we ask the Lord to give us a heart of compliance. Heavenly Father, God in heaven, Lord, we thank you, God, that you have given us rules, structure, and boundaries to live by for it proves to us that you do love us because you can't have love without boundaries to protect. Anybody who loves anything will set up boundaries for that person in order to protect them. And you have done a very good thing, Lord God. Lord, give us a heart that seeks to comply with your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so these are the components of genuine faith demonstrated by this parable of the first and second son. Okay, we have a son that said no, but did. We have a son that said yes, but did not. We have a heart that's remorseful, that leads to repentance, and then we have uh, compliance with God's request. Compliance means doing, not just saying, and compliance confirms our love for the Lord. And the very last point here today is that faith belongs to the Lord. Okay, and I wanted to throw this in there because I believe that that's very important to demonstrate. Scripture says in Hebrews 12 2, that the Lord is the author of our faith. It says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And faith, of course, is also a gift from the Lord. Acts 3.16, on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. My dear friends, all of this is made possible because the Lord gives faith as a gift. What would be the point of having remorse? What would be the point of repentance? What would be the point of complying with God if the God in heaven wasn't a God who forgave? If the God in heaven wasn't a God of love? If he wasn't a God of compassion and mercy? Then none of that would even make sense or be relevant. But because God is who he is, but because he offers to us salvation from our sins because he offers us the words and the hope of eternal life we can have a heart of remorse and repentance we can comply with God's word and it means something you see there's meaning to all of this and the and meaning of it is is that we will grow in our love and our knowledge of God and we have a future and a hope established in Him. My dear friends, a relationship with God is where it's at. 
Look, we are studying in uh, Sunday school, moving from religion to relationship. The religious leaders of Jesus' day partook of religion. They had the outward show. They talked the lingo. They had... You would look at them and say, Wow, wow, there's a man of God. Look at what he's wearing. Listen to the words flowing from his mouth. Which is why I purposefully wore a shirt like this so I could look like a fool in front of you today. And say, wow, look at that moron up there wearing that Hawaiian shirt. Who would ever take him serious? But I sure hope that this message pierced your heart today. And showed that you would not show partiality. But be impartial. And not judge people by what they wear on the outside. But by the heart they have on the inside. Let us pray. Father God in heaven. We do thank you that you are a God of glory, God of mercy, God of goodness. And Father, that your love is unconditional and unending. Heavenly Father, I pray that through the study of this parable today, that we could demonstrate the remorse that we have and our desperate desire to repent and turn toward you and to comply with your word. Knowing, Father God, that our love for you will grow stronger that your love toward us, even though I don't think it could grow any stronger because you love unconditionally. But Father God, that our relationship with you, that we would hear the signs that you have, that we would hear the words, that our eyes would be open to see the things that you have laid out before us like we have never seen them before. Heavenly Father, will you please do this for us? And God in heaven, for the hearts that are here today that are hurting Father, I pray for your deliverance. I pray, Father God, that you would give them what it is that they need, that only you know what they need. There's people here that have lost loved ones recently. There's people here that are struggling mightily with certain issues in their lives. Father, intervene and be with them during this time and guide them along with your loving hands, Father God. And if there be anyone here that has never come to you, with a remorseful and repentant heart, asking you for the salvation that you offer. Father God, may that person not leave here without doing that, but right where they are, ask for you to be their Lord and Savior and to come into their lives and to change their hearts and their minds. And Father, for anyone that does that, to please come in to see me afterwards so that we could talk about what that means and what the next steps are. You are a good and glorious God. We love you and all the things that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message by Pastor Nick Stringer at Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. For more information, you can go to www.creekside-church.org on the website. Once again, you've been listening to the Sunday Message with Pastor Nick Stringer.